Who do you believe in? Who moves you? Who inspires you? My name is Tariq Ture, and I want you to meet some of the people that inspire me. And they've done that simply because no matter the situation, they've gone above and beyond. Welcome to Above and Beyond. Peace, peace. Assalamu alaikum. This is Tariq Ture here on a very special edition of the Above and Beyond podcast. Today, we are early, early in the morning, live from quarantine, uh, given <laughs> what's going on with coronavirus and COVID-19. Um, a little bit disclaimer before we get started. I am home. This is the morning. I have a three-year-old who literally wakes up at the crack of dawn, just like myself. So if a baby comes storming in here, please act natural. Do not be alarmed. I'm not kidnapping children. These are my own babies that are here with me. Um, today, I have the honor of interviewing somebody who I believe is at the forefront of, of archiving our emotions in this particular time period, our desires and our spiritual aspirations. And that is none other than Sukina Pilgrim. Um, who is a poet, spoken word artist, playwright, workshop facilitator, and event organizer and co-founder of Muslim female hip-hop duo, Poetic Pilgrimage. She has facilitated creative workshops across the world, empowering communities to use the written word as a tool for dialogue and as a means for accessing their authentic voice. She has launched a workshop series called The Art of Speaking from the Heart, and she has delivered that around the world. She has played an intrinsic role within the British Muslim creative communities as a performer and events organizer and has created platforms for many national and international Muslim artists to express themselves and launch their careers. She was the Rumi project. She was a project manager of a Muslim Sufi center in London called Rumi's Cave, where she organized Islamic courses, lectures, workshops and retreats. Her work has been featured on the BBC News, World Service, and Asian Network, ITV, Channel 4, and Al Jazeera, and has been written about in the Huffington Post, Daily Mail, The Voice, and many other international media outlets. In March 2015, Al Jazeera screened a documentary about her group called Hip Hop Hijabis. Sakina made her theater debut. In 2016, in a production called Malcolm X at the Royal Flemish Theatre in Brussels, which was critically acclaimed, and she wrote her first play called The Afropean Human Being that premiered at the theatre in February this year, 2020. In 2017, she delivered a TED Talk on the healing potential of poetry. Sakina holds a BA, honors degree, in English literature and Caribbean studies and is currently pursuing an MSc in creative writing for therapeutic purposes. And without further ado, I bring you one one of the most prolific writers and artists um, all the way from across the Atlantic this morning, (laughs) Sakina Pilgrim. Thank you so much for for coming on Sadna to talk to me for a little bit. How are you? Thank you so much for, for having me. It's always so intriguing to me when I hear my biography being read being read out in my presence because, you know, I don't know, it's just overwhelming in a way. And sometimes it's almost 
it's like that's me but you sometimes forget the things that you've done to get to where you are you know so it's like I was listening to that like subhanallah alhamdulillah <laughs> 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 we're grateful <clears throat> yes 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 sometimes you gotta you have to I don't know if they use the term near in, uh, in the UK, but pit stops. You have to look at the pit stops in, in your journey and be able to say, okay, I did that. Wow, I did that too? I did that? Because when you're in the midst of it, it's just like, it's just struggle. <laughs> struggle. And it's interesting because um, I'm doing, as you mentioned, I'm doing my master's in creative writing for therapeutic purposes. And we had a module on narrative therapy. And mm. so we had to, Kind of like you can, it can be used in a therapeutic context but it's really about how we tell our stories and for people mm. that have experienced trauma how they can retell their stories you know so we but we as students have to kind of go through the process ourselves and so you really learn about the ways in which you tell your story and the biography is is a way in which you know i'm telling a particular story about myself that on a day-to-day -day basis I'm not telling that story about myself, but when you hear it, when you hear your biography, you're like, wow, this is a particular narrative and it and it has a movement and it's it's real, you know, but it's something that we don't on a daily basis. I'm not telling people all this information about myself or what I've accomplished. Mm. So it's nice to just hear that part, hear that aspect of my story, you know. Absolutely. So <laughs> given that, given that, um, can you tell me a little bit about Little Sakina and... <laughs> sort of the genesis of, of who you are. And I, I like to say sometimes that things are a coincidence and sometimes our childhood can speak to that. Um, mm. And tell me a little bit about where you grew up as well. Mm. Yeah, so I'm from a city called Bristol, which is about two and a half hours away from London. Um, and I was raised by my mother, lived with my mother and my brother growing up. Um, I come from, my background isn't Muslim, so I come from a background wherein I had the, I had a kind of, it was quite open actually, it was quite spacious. Like I was raised with aspects of Rastafarianism because my parents were Rastafarian before I was born. So I was named after Haile Selassie's mother and I was really raised with the fragrance of Rastafarianism, but not the religion itself. So that was something that was quite present. And then being um, from the Caribbean, you know, Jamaica is a very Christian, very Christian country. So, you know, we had to go to Sunday school and we had to go to church and I went to, you know, so religious schools and stuff. So I kind of was raised with the fragrance of different faiths, but I feel like I really had space to find my own way. Um, when it came to spirituality, when it came to like purpose, let's say. Um, and then when it comes to creativity, I how I actually started writing was really just letters. I was a very hyper emotional young person. So sometimes if I, my mum told me off or wouldn't let me do something, I'd write these really emotional letters to her and like these different places. <laughs> like in a drawer, like, you don't love me, I was adopted, you know, like, <laughs> all these things. And I think, like, when I realised I actually had a talent for writing was actually when I was about 16, 17, and I had met a guy from a different city, and we were, you know, we became boyfriend and girlfriend, and I was really into him, he was really into me, then he just disappeared off the face of the earth, I never saw him again. So I started to write letters to him like just to communicate how I was feeling. And sometimes I would send them to him, sometimes I wouldn't, but it was the process of writing that I realized that it was healing me, that I had this kind of almost like a container to pour all of my emotions into. 
And it didn't matter then whether I sent it to him or not. It was really about me. And I used to read my letters to my friends and they'd be like, oh my God, you write so well. Like you really know how to articulate your emotions. Um, So that was kind of, I would say the beginning of me as a writer, you know, like that kind of, that kind of form of expression. And then when it became more artistic or creative, I think maybe when I was around, yeah, maybe I was also maybe in the same time frame, but I was really um it was a time of like neo soul and like really good hip hop. And I remember just wanting to like be part of it, you know what I mean? So mm. it was Erica Badu and Lauren Hill and India Ari and like all of just the good, like all the good source, the good stuff, you know, the rappers mm-hmm. like Mustaf and Roots and when it was fresh and it was like a real movement, and I remember feeling like I wanted to also write as well because I felt that those writers were really touching on the things that I w- that I could relate to more than mainstream music mm. or mainstream black music. There was something nuanced about it. It was conscious. It, it had a meaning. They were had natural hair, and you know what I'm saying. They were promoting yeah. or kind of uh, articulating and celebrating blackness, you know. But mm-hmm. I think at the same time, it was still from an American context, you know? So I think for me as a British person, I wanted to also have my voice as well, you know? And I think that in a way um, inspired me to kind of start writing song lyrics and eventually poems. And then subsequently hip hop came into the, into the pot. (laughs) So yeah. yeah, yeah. What, um, what could you say to, is there someone or um, it could be droves of people but could you, if I asked you, who was the person to really validate the path that you were going down? Um, who could you say that was? And, you know, if that even is a person and what could you say to really that that person's personality and, and what about them made you feel like if I, I got the OK, I got the go ahead to continue mm-hmm. to pull myself into this container? Um, mm. because there's always people along our, our role who yeah. they kind of like push us and be like, Hey, you, you know, you can do this, or this is a, a talent you have. So, who, who could you say that is, or um, yeah, about them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, like, in the early days, I was definitely very shy about my, my word, my words, and stuff. So, I um, I wouldn't really share that much um there was one when I was at school when I first started writing poetic song lyrics let's say there was one girl um who was a singer so I used to write the lyrics and she used to sing my poems actually or sing my words Mm -hmm. and I think that was really quite powerful for me to hear melody behind my words and and almost this idea of something coming to life and hearing Mm -hmm. the words on else's mouth so I think that was something that was quite that stands out for me but I think you know, um, not too long after I started writing, so maybe four years after I started to write, three, four years, I formed a poetic pilgrimage with my with my uh, then band member, Munira. And mm. I think when we were, when we started out in poetic pilgrimage, we were so in our own hype that we didn't uh-huh. really care what anyone else, anyone else thought or felt, felt. And I think that in a way was, was our, we, we cocooned ourselves and we, validated each other and we validated ourselves and we really we really were not interested in what the outside world felt if that makes sense like obviously you want people to like what you do but in the beginning we we believed in ourselves so much you know what I mean almost too much possibly <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I think like that in a way, well, because I think what we were trying to do at the time, it was it was really different and there wasn't really much like it out there. And, and I realized as an artist and, and, you know, having been in creative communities for a long time that people like to be able to put you in a box very quickly. And if they can't, yes. and if they wrap itself around you, then yes. sometimes they can, um, you know, they can dismiss you. It's like, oh, as soon as they see us come to events, they'll be like, oh, you guys, they assume we're going to be singers or they assume we're going to be, you know, they, they have these assumptions about what we're going to do as artists. And then I think I spent a lot of my career in poetic pilgrimage just actually smashing stereotypes. I don't even necessarily... <laughs> People even necessarily were listening to the music if they necessarily liked what we were doing, but it was more like, oh my god, I was not expecting that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know. So I think that like it was definitely, I definitely feel, I, and I'm, I can say for for my time in poetic pilgrimage, it was definitely about us validating ourselves. Like we really had to believe in our own hype, and I think that also comes from hip hop culture, though. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's really. You, if you don't believe you're the best thing ever, like don't step to the don't just just do everyone a favor. Like you really have to believe when you get to that mic that you are like the queen or the king of the universe. Like <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I was saying as rappers, rappers are like the pirates of the creative world. You know, we, <laughs> you go out and take what you want, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do what you you know. People know when you're coming. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's beautiful. You know, the interesting thing. So, you know, um, me and uh, Naeem Muhammad, we, we're brothers. We have the same mother. Oh, and so, yeah. So, I just thought you meant like brothers in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, most people, like, when we, <laughs> if we we could be directly next to each other, and yeah. people were like, hold on, like, he's like brown skin. You're like super, you know, you're super dark. How is this, I'm saying, work? And so we had the same mom, but we don't, we look nothing. I mean, like maybe if we smile a little bit, then you can yeah. like see, okay, there's some resemblance. But other than that, so most people, they don't even, they just like, okay, maybe he's just like, you know, big bro, big bro type of thing. Um, yeah. But he is my mother's third child on the last. Um, and there's seven of us. And I remember <laughs> when you all came to the States and he was like, mm -hmm. hey, it's these uh, sisters that rat and I'm telling you they can cook like they they they're good like and so I was like all right cool no problem and I remember just really being amazed because y'all put on like a you know it was like a really intimate show and mm. I was just so happy to mm. see that form of expression and that form of freedom that you all were were wielding and mm. Um, inspiring as well so I was just like and then y'all was from across the waters too so it was yeah. like it was like it was a double you know a double pleasure double <laughs> happiness because I'm so happy to see some folks from there um I would say um I, I would want to ask what did you what did you learn from being in Poetic Pilgrimage and uh, how did how did you manage the hype <laughs> hmm. oh such a good question I think I'm still kind of unpacking actually all the things I've learned from Poetic Pilgrimage because um, you know we, we decided to stop performing music musically um, mm -hmm. maybe about a year and a half ago so it's still quite it's still quite new you know and I think that um, it's something that had been part of my life for over 15 years you Ooh. know so it's 
Uh, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a minute, like a lot, a lot, all of my adult life. Wow. Basically, I was in poetic pilgrimage, and it wasn't just for us. Poetic pilgrimage wasn't just something that we did; it was who we were. You know, it mm-hmm. was really. I in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be rocking the stage until I'm like sixty-five. <laughs> you know, right. Uh, you know, we went to see last. We performed actually. We opened up for the last poets when they performed in London. I think it was, which is a massive honor. And um, we were looking at them, and we were like, "Oh my God, that's gonna be us!" You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> to like bless them, like really, mashallah, like elders. You know, and they're still mm-hmm. doing it. I was like, we were like, I, it was like a moment. I was like, "Oh my God!" And there was one of them who his personality was a bit closer to Manira's. He kept making jokes, and there was another one who was a bit. His personality was a bit like mine. And we were like, "Oh my God, it's gonna be us!" You know. So I think that was something <laughs> I always assumed would happen, but then obviously you grow and and you 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 find different means of expression and I think sometimes being in a group as well you're always seeking a compromise isn't it because you're two people so you find a theme or you find a beat or you find a artwork that you both love but maybe if you were if you were alone you might not have necessarily chosen that so I think there there's you know moments where you just need to go on your own solo journey which is what I'm on now and it's really revealing for me actually not having because when you're when you're in a group you've always got someone next to you someone behind you like if I'm doing a piece a spoken word piece or she's doing a spoken word piece we're always on stage with each other so we're backing each other and if we're rapping we're next to each other I say she's got my she's got my back she's saying lyrics when I forget them you know what I'm saying so Uh, I think it's a completely different um experience so I'm still unpacking actually what what I learned from poetic pilgrimage but one thing it's interesting I was speaking to my friends yesterday and we we're just talking about being women within the, within the Sufi communities you know and and what that looks like and what that means and what that means when you've been given positions of spiritual leadership for example from your sheikh and how do you man- navigate that and I was saying to her it's so interesting because I feel like being an MC or coming from a hip hop background has really prepared me to be in spaces where there aren't many women and I really have to fight to stand my ground. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. In hip hop, it's like that. You go to an open mic night, you might be one of the only women and you have to push your way to the front to grab that mic and you're pop- uh, you might be the only woman in that space. And so now being in spaces where you're navigating, being in environments around the sheikh and there's different personalities and you're there and you're kind of being given responsibility to care for the women. And you're like, you know, I'm, you've become a lioness in these spaces and you have to really fight <laughs> to get, you know, to protect the people that are under your care and all these different things. So even though it's not necessarily a creative takeaway, I definitely take that away. This like ability to just you know, be the only, when I lived in Senegal, for example, maybe we'll talk about that a bit later, but when I lived in Senegal, oh, in, the yeah. village of, <laughs> in the village of my sheikh, I remember feeling like there was a point where I was the only woman, you know, like, mm. left. and I was like, my husband had gone, you know, my friends had gone home, I was the only, like, not, you know, British, like, non, non-Senegalese uh, woman left, and I remember, like, that feeling of, like, I'm alone, but I still want to be here and I still want to be in the presence and I still have to, I, I have to be here actually. I can't uh. leave, I have to be. And it was difficult and I would quite doubt myself every day, like, Sakina, calm down, where are you going? You're the only girl, da, da, da. Until eventually I even spoke to my sheikh and I said, sheikh, should I, is it better if I don't sit in your presence? And he said, no, you stay here. You should be in the presence of your sheikh. You should, you uh-huh. don't leave, you know? And I was like, Allahu Akbar. And they gave me that strength, you know, like no one can right. tell me nothing. So I think um, 
in a long-winded way, I think what I took away from Poetic Pilgrimage is just in the fabric of who I am as a woman, you know what I mean? And I feel like, mm. you know, hip-hop gives you this kind of strength sometimes where you might feel intimidated, but when you hold that mic, you need to just... You need to just give all, 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 all that you got, you know. And I think I definitely got that from from poetic pilgrimage. Definitely. For sure. Um, oh. So, so literally, I, I was. I think it's about eight lines. And so, mm. um, in your poem, you say, "I place my hands upon my heart and witnessed mm. a beautiful vision, dressed in a white garment. I saw myself on bended knee, in sanctuary that tasted sacred. My head was bowed. My heart was humbled." In the presence of holiness, I placed myself on his altar. I was the offering. And that was just the first, like, I guess, 40% of, of this particular poem. And I could be incorrect, but uh, you praise poetry and, and, and Senegal and Sheikh Mahi and the Johnny Order. Um, I could be incorrect, but do those things run parallel in life for you? And I was going to ask you about reading in Senegal when you did and how that experience has brought you to where you are now, brought your work to where it is now. Hmm. Wow. Now, now you've opened it because I can talk forever about, about the, the things you just mentioned. Um, uh, in, in answer primarily to your question, 100% yes. I think um, before I joined the Tijani Order, I was already a writer. I was already in political pilgrimage. I was already a spoken word artist. But there's something about beginning a journey of dhikr intentionally, you know, and, you know, following a, an order that is ancient, that kind of can open and expand your chest in a way that maybe you didn't even mm. imagine, you mm -hmm. know. So I think for me, when, like, my poetry definitely shifted. Um, mm -hmm during a time when my band member was living in Sudan. So I was for the first time not doing poetic pilgrimage for my in my adult life. It was the first mm. time like poetic pilgrimage because prior to that we were always on standby. Any 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 show we'd we go, you know, but this was right. the first time for a year there was just no poetic pilgrimage and I noticed and that was when I also started to manage Rumi's cave. It was the same period of time. And then I kind of started to really um, go deep onto onto my connection with the tariqa. So all those things at the same time, I think it, it made me realize first and foremost that I had spent a lot of my artistic career speaking out against injustice in this part of the world, or speaking for the voiceless in Palestine, or trying to you know navigate these people like not not navigate, but try to almost like use my platform to talk about what's happening in Iraq or Afghanistan or here or there, you know. And I realized mm. after after my my, my band member left. And I started to do more, a lot more dick, and I realized my heart had its own story. Mm. And I had not really been telling my story. I'd been telling other people's stories or trying to represent other people, but I wasn't really speaking my, my, from my heart. And so, yeah, it just, it's like, it, that was really when it started. And I really noticed that my poetry was just different. It was really, <clears throat> you know, it really was the voice of the heart. That's all I can, that's all I can really say. Um, mm. And so, yeah, definitely being in a tariqa and being, you know, not just um, not just sort of what's the word, not just an affiliate, not just affiliated with a tariqa or like you know, mashallah, romantically connected to a tariqa, but avidly uh, like uh, just a, a really a murid, you know what I mean? I'm really trying mm. to be a murid. I'm really I want to be on the path, not just someone who's like, oh yeah, I'm with the Tijanis. No, like I'm. <laughs> 
fast. Like my knees are bleeding, my my nails are dirty. Like I'm gross, you know, <laughs> scrubbing my way to the door, you know. And I think that, like, of course, then yeah, the poetry will definitely be different. And I think through time, I've learned to kind of really distill what it is that my heart wants to say, you know. And mm. I don't really end the poem until I'm, I'm until my, my my mind and my heart are in sync that this is exactly our truth you know so I, wow. I definitely feel like I, I got that and then you know being in Tessa Wolf in general you start to understand that like poetry isn't necessarily just about the arts like it's a container mm. for an or it's a container for a state it's a container for mm. an experience that ordinary vocabulary would uh, could dim you know what I'm saying like right. just trying to everyday vernacular it's like you take away from it so you realize that the Rumi's and the Hafiz's and you know Sheikh Ibrahim Yassis and Imam Busseri's and you know Imam Jazuli all these people they're trying to they're trying their hardest to, to to distill and contain a state that the poetry is just uh it's not even you know 10% of what they're really experiencing you know but they don't have any kind of other way to really collect it and so I think mm. you know you're spending time reading these kinds of poetry and having your own experiences as well and you're like you know you know being in a tariqa like with Sheikh Ibrahim Yas um, his poetry is some of the most beautiful poetry I've ever come across and you know when this is part of the tradition you realize that it makes sense that actually poets are attracted to the tariqa or the tariqa spits out poets you know what I mean like there's yeah. a relationship to soul from poetry definitely um so yeah I, I i could i can say i can say that and and once when i spoke to my sheikh and i said to him you know how can i serve because you have so many people that can help him if my sheikh wants to go to the hospital he's got muris that can help him do big things you know and mm-hmm. i'm like what can, i'm like what can i do and he said use your poetry use your poetry mm. to you know, and for me, that was my stamp. Like, oh, I have Eden, you know, like I have permission. I can really, like my sheikh really validated my my expression. And, and so that was really, really powerful for me. Um, and then with regards to, and to be truthful, Medina Bay is my muse, you know. And for those who don't know, Medina Bay is, uh, I guess, the spiritual headquarters of the 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 Fader, the Ibrahimiyah branch of the Tariqa Tijaniya. So it's in Medina Bay, and it's where my Sheikh Sheikh Mahi is is from, and Sheikh Ibrahim Yas founded it. And I think that like it's my muse. You know, I mean, I write so many poems about Medina Bay, mm. like constantly even um in my masters i had to write an essay a reflective essay looking at the work i've produced on my masters so far and i had a whole section about medina Bay because i keep it keeps coming up even if the theme my lecture one time she just said write a poem starting with the word here you know mm-hmm. and there's no way i'm like medina Bay, and it's just it, <laughs> it, it, it inspires me because and, and i i wonder about it like i wonder if it's because when i'm in medina Bay. I am in contact with an aspect of myself that I don't see every day. You know what I mean? I'm in contact mm. with a part of myself that can worship better and zikr better and serve better and speak better. Like there's something about being in the company and in the city of Aulia, you know, that brings mm. out the best in you. And so sometimes you're like, I think there's something about that that inspires my pen a lot because I remind myself that if even though I'm struggling in this dunya, <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a place that allows me to be better, you know. So right. um, 
So yeah, you know, I, I can speak forever and about about this, <laughs> but I think in, in your question, yes. Um, with regards to the, so when I performed in, in like I gave, I guess I gave a poetic speech in Senegal uh, last year in the month of Rabi al-Awl. And this was really significant, right? Because it was the first time that they've done an international conference. I go every year and everything right. is usually in Wolof or Arabic. So this was the first time that they wanted to do something to honor and acknowledge the British, the English speakers, the French speakers. And so they had this international conference. And right. as far as I know for a fact that I was the only English speaking woman in the entire conference, I believe there was a woman, another woman scheduled, but I didn't see that she spoke. So from what I know, I was the only woman on that platform. Um, right. And it was extremely, extremely intimidating. Like, when, when the Sheikh who invited me, he's the grandson of Sheikh Ibrahim Yatta's name, Sheikh Bukhar Riang, he invited me. And I was like, okay, mashallah, great. Yeah, why not? I'd be really happy about it. Then they put out a flyer with all of these like illustrious shiuch, like people that have yeah. like hundreds of followers from Montana, from this place, from Chad, from. And so I messaged Mustafa Briggs, you know, um, <laughs> he was also speaking he's like my younger brother he's like the historian right so I messaged him like who are these people on the flyer with us and then he started telling me their biographies wallahi I almost cancelled I almost called the chef like I'm sorry I can't do this like this is a bit too much for me do you know what I mean mm. and uh, you know but he was like no your voice is your the, the chef said your voice is important you represent a beauty connected to this tariqah the way you just the way you describe it you represent a beauty that, that, mm -hmm. that needs and so he said you're, you're, he wanted me to speak about um, the path of love our tariqah as a path of love and so I guess I kind of wrote my speech with a lot of poetics so people would mm -hmm. like would say oh, I loved your poem or I loved your performance like, <laughs> but I used a lot of poetic language I guess to kind of really speak to the heart you know uh. and uh, apparently according to the sheikh my, my video was the most watched uh talk of the entire conference and and for mm -hmm. him he thought it was one of the most powerful parts of the conference and um yeah it was it was a powerful experience it was I, I, I can't even yeah I, I can't really put into words like but it, I wrote about it on Instagram and I was saying that every year something happens in my life that pushes me out of my comfort zone like kicks mm. me out of zone and takes everything to another level in my in myself and in my life and I think that was that moment for me that was something that it took me way out of what I could ever have imagined and but at the same time there was some so much ease in it when I was I remember I was writing it on, on the plane I was writing it on the way there and as soon as I sat at my at my laptop the words flowed like water you know there mm. was no there was no resistance there was no oh my god like it's almost like it just came through with so much ease and when I stood on that stage and same thing I was really anxious um as soon as I I got onto the mic again I was it was like it just came out and I think again see these are things that I definitely know I got from hip-hop you know what I mean like there's <laughs> right. been times, you know been, I remember we performed one time uh with Kanan the Somali rapper and I Ooh, remember okay. Yeah, this is the uh, Trinity International Hip Hop Festival. And I remember before going on stage, literally, I wanted to throw up. Like, I felt sick of, with nerves. But then as soon as you get on the mic, that's it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's showtime. It's on, exactly. Um, 
but yeah that was a very powerful experience and to be there as a female presence as well and I saw there was a number of women in the audience and I've been to these kinds of conferences where you know the, the, the male shayukh are, you know, they are the ones who are giving the speeches. And so they sit on like a, a high table on the stage and then all the audience sits, you know, uh, yeah. just sits audience. And um, subhanAllah, when I walked into the room before I gave the talk, I thought I was just going to be sitting in the audience with everybody <laughs> else. Like, I've never seen a woman on those stages. I've never seen a woman on that stage before, you know. And as soon as wow. I walked in, the chef said, no, no, come, come, come and sit with us. And I was like... You want me to sit on like the high table? And he's like, yeah, you've earned your place to be here. You've earned your place. Wow. It's like, Allah, you know. And then I noticed as soon as I started speaking, the women in the audience, whether they could understand me or not, like all of their faces illuminated because because there's something about representation mm. when you least expect it as well. Because sometimes you don't even know that you could you can aspire for something. You know, sometimes right. you don't even realize, oh, that is open for me too. Then suddenly you see it as this moment of like. Subhanallah, you know, I'm there because she's there, you know, and I and mm. I felt that from, from the audience. So yeah, alhamdulillah, it was a wonderful experience. Um, wow, okay, I'm gonna have to like sit and and, and marinate on that. <laughs> I would say uh, I'll say this, and then I'll pivot to the next question. Uh, one day, um, Mustafa was in Senegal. And this was a while back. This is a while back. And he was walking with maybe 30 or 40 other brothers. And they were doing dhikr in the streets. And they were dressed in like the the most regal wax cloths and the the powder blues of the sky and the greenest greens of the grass and um, the deepest blacks of like a a, a, a midnight sky in, in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. asked him, <laughs> I was like, you who got married? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and then Mustafa was like, <laughs> oh, we're going to play Thor, bruv. <laughs> <And Yeah. I laughs> was... <laughs> literally, literally. I was like, that's budget, you know? <laughs> and I was like, and then I thought about some of the states that I have went to go pray in, and I felt such shame, but also this sense of like, there's something occurring there that can't be explained with the naked eye. It can only be guessed. And so I'm happy that you were able to go through that and and now you're able to drink from that fountain because now people like myself can, we can vicariously enjoy these things and hopefully, you know, be able to aspire to um, mm. just go there, or, you know, or mentally or spiritually travel there. And to understand there's a, there's a, there's a world outside of the comings and goings of, of Western life. Um, Absolutely. And I know you're going to segue into that. The next sure. part, but I think, um, you know, subhanAllah, there's something as well about Islam in Africa for me, in sub-Saharan mm. Africa, that is oftentimes overlooked, you know, and I think being being there, you know, for me, I mean, I, I have an interesting experience when it comes to, like, things being known. Like, I, I actually like the fact that many people overlook us because what that means <sighs> yeah. is 
ever been preserved actually something so sweet and beautiful and rich hasn't been tampered with there's no saudi arabian oil money in medina uh. bay and there's no fingers there's no gaze like now alhamdulillah this is just the will of allah people are becoming more aware of it which is fantastic um but even still like to even get to medina bay they're only now in the last few years that they built quite a nice straight road prior to that we were traveling in taxis dodging potholes i mean <laughs> if you have ocean sickness i feel sorry for you because it's not it used to be a very the road was so bad the drive the taxi drivers would come off the road and just drive in the grass you know they wow. just drive like because it was so bad and so you know even to arrive there was 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 in and of itself like an accomplishment you know what i mean let alone to stay there when there's times when there's no running water then times when there's no electricity when there's a sandstorm when you know all these kinds of when there's when it's like rainy season or when it's you know the hot season and so to medina buying in of itself i feel is it's really like a protected pearl for me mm. and i think that's kind of what I love about being there. And you see the levels of scholarship, not just of men, but of women and children and the, un- the knowledge of Allah. Like I remember one time kids, you know, because after the Adhan for every Salah, they play like a juz of Quran for the Masjid. So the kids are in the street playing football and I was walking past them and they're singing along to the Quran whilst they're playing football. You know, like, oh, like how in the West singing along to the radio, like they're just <laughs> reciting Quran whilst they're playing whilst they're whilst they're scoring a goal you know and wow you know subhanallah like we're having dinner with our sheikh i remember one time we were having dinner then afterwards um surah tarahman was just being played and the whole room was just in a state of of sakina you know and i remember looking around and seeing how many people were reciting off their off from their hearts the the, the surah and i looked and i was like subhanallah how many people here are happy you know and I, you don't right. even really in, it's just it's just that natural and i think um like you said about Mustafa going to the masjid with, with like 30 people this is if you saw juma you would just everyday juma you think it's like the best eid ever let, let alone eid <laughs> you know what i mean juma's like eid did you see how people dress for juma and us coming from the west with our like i don't know cotton abayas and you know crappy little right. headscarves they dress in like they're going to a wedding you know it's so they really make an effort for allah you know, and they really, they really, it's just a beautiful experience. I really pray that a lot of people um, have the chance to go there because when I was there, all I wanted to do, I remember I wrote a poem, like, I wish, I wish I could pour into a cup what my fajr tastes like. Like, I Ooh. wish you could just, you know, like, right. I wish you could sweeter than honey. I wish I could just pour it out and let you have a taste because wow. I know that every have ever taken there as soon as they've tasted the sweetness of Medina by that's it you know they're drunk like the rest of us and so I remember my, I was like man we should like try and, and, and try our best to like spend a Ramadan in, in, in Senegal if, if we could right and so my wife was like no don't do that like she's like you're gonna be depressed you know, it's just like you're gonna be, you're gonna be, in a state of complete shock once you come back, yeah. and uh, you know she has first like, first hand experience with it because her family uh, they stayed in Tareem for some time, yeah. and yeah. Um, you know so she's witnessed she's witnessed yeah. people who have these spiritual states firsthand, mm-hmm. and just you know the mundane regular people you know mm-hmm. not so much just the the shiuch and 
um, mm-hmm. Marids, but just regular everyday people. The guy who yeah. works at the bake shop, yes, uh, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. is uh, in a state of remembrance constantly and uh, um, has a, a level of how that is remarkable. Um, I guess the last, I guess the, close to the last thing is mm-hmm. um, with that. You have the opportunity to then move into healing parts mm-hmm. of yourself mm-hmm. and parts of your journey, you know, because it's not all, you know, you know, as the poem says, you know, life ain't been one crystal stair. Mm-hmm. And so what what could you say now about the function of your work as as a healing, as a healing component? Mm-hmm. I know you did a TEDx about yeah. it, um, yeah. but if you could, if you could briefly give our listeners a mm. window to that process. Yeah, definitely. It's a good question, actually, because you know sometimes as artists we kind of use words, don't we? Like my words are healing, or her words are healing, or <laughs> you know, you know, we we kind of use these words without maybe the intentionality behind it you know so when I did a pro- I did a project in Belgium and it was about it was about this like how poetry can be used to heal in the aftermath of a terror of terrorism of a terror attack mm. and uh, you know in the country I guess which is a non-English speaking country they pick up on words so they're saying so you're saying you really think that poetry can heal and I really had to check myself like well I guess <laughs> you know that's what we've always been taught that you're not taught but we've always known that art can heal us but we may not be able to kind of pinpoint where where in our bodies we have been healed but there's something that that gives us relief you know um and so that was I guess the first time I really started thinking about it then I came across um this master's actually about creative writing for therapeutic purposes because basically what was starting to happen was I would be leading workshops particularly the ones about the art of speaking from the heart and I think for me as a facilitator, particularly if I've only got like two or three hours with a group, I want us to go deep. I want us to go deep, you know, I want us to get to the heart literally of, of the matter straight up, like quite quickly. So I might lead them, I might begin the first question, when was the last time you cried? You know, or like mm. what, what gives you, you know, just make almost like go straight in to, to kind of almost trigger some kind of emotion um and so you know the the workshops would continue but I rarely lead a workshop without people crying there's always there's always tears it's always emotion it's a sign of a good workshop you know but then like (laughs) you know but then what was starting to happen was it was more than tears that was coming up it was also trauma you know I think our people our our people as in human people or human beings as a as a people we are I think at a stage in our journey where our traumas are a lot more closer to the surface. And I think that what is was starting to happen in my workshops is that they would erupt. And I didn't always feel like I had the capacity to to contain it. Ah. You know, so in a way, I, I guess sometimes I felt like, is it even responsible for me to be doing what I'm doing? You know what I mean? Like, not right. that my work is super dramatic, but there are just certain things that I realized I needed support with, hence the reason why now I'm doing my master's. And so when I started to do the master's, I thought it would be like, this is how you facilitate. This is how you teach this. This is how you teach that. And I realized I was completely wrong. You, ha- I have to go through it. So I literally feel like I'm in creative writing therapy at the moment. And wow. it's, it's intense. It's, it's quite raw, actually, and very revealing and very um, 
sometimes you feel very spiky and raw the next day and you don't know why and it's because you've just been digging into yourself you know um and what I'm starting to realize what I'm starting to notice in my writing is that I think coming from a performative background or coming from a background wherein I'm used to sharing my art a lot of what I share has tended to be with an audience in mind or writing to a kind of like standard that I know people what they will expect from me you know what I mean right. people will expect right. an expression from me and if they don't get it maybe you know if, if they don't get it it can throw them so I always felt like I needed to kind of write a particular way whereas of course is really teaching me how to really truly express my truth and I think that there's a lot of healing in that because you're realizing there's a lot of freedom in not feeling like you have to be always like this sort of inspirational spiritual soothing kind of poet like in my course I'm really learning how to write just my truth and I think that there's something yeah so the process I would say I'm in it right now I can't really say that I've 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 got an outcome I can't I can I can say that I'm going through my own healing process or my own therapeutic process with my art Uh and um so I don't really have any takeaways I don't really have anything to kind of like summarize about that experience maybe if we speak again in a year or two I'll be like okay this is what I've learned so far (laughs) but I think that you know of course I think anyone who has a creative um relationship with writing and journaling or poetry whether they share it or not you know that there's something innate that when you are going through something and you don't have the capacity to understand it that writing it down can help you to kind of work through the Mm. chaos you know what I mean? Something about writing it down. What some somehow when it's on paper, you have the chance to kind of either sit with it and 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 kind of immerse yourself in it, or fold that piece of paper up and put it in a drawer and say, Alhamdulillah, I went through that, and this is now I can yeah. compartmentalize it. You know, you right. we know that there's feeling in in the it's cathartic. We know all of these things, so that's kind of a given. But on a personal level, I definitely would say that like I'm in it. I'm going through it and it's not easy and I remember writing about you know how sometimes like when you're as a poet as a writer like sometimes it's the most painful experience that you can mm. ever go through to lean into your emotions and confront the darkness but we right. also wouldn't have it the other way you know like it's just also part of it's part of the fabric of our being you know um and yeah so I don't really have like a concrete answer to your question. <laughs> no, no, no. That's good. That's good. That's good. Um, I mean, one, I, I love, I love, I don't know. I love, mm-hmm. I'm in it right now. I love you. Mm-hmm. I'm experiencing mm-hmm. it right now. I love, yeah. I give back to you because we live in a world <laughs> right now of just answers. Like everybody has an answer for everything. You don't throw, right. a, throw a, I don't know out there a few times and yeah. we'll see where it gets us and we'll be fine. Um Literally, even recently, I wrote a poem. I had an experience with some some people, and I wrote like a bit of a spike. I was really annoyed about it, so I wrote a poem. And one of uh, one of our shayoth, like uh, he he messaged me, and he said, "Oh, who troubled Sakina today? <laughs> <laughs> who messaged Sakina? I see. He said, I saw your poem. I knew someone troubled you today. What? I said, what happened to you? Then he said, you know, he said, don't write when you're angry. Wow. And I said, and I said, I hear you, Shia. You know, I'm a little bit of a rebel. I was like, yeah, but at the same time, I think sometimes, and this is a thing I know, it's even when I was writing my play, actually, I had a, a scene in my play where I, which is called Black Rage, where I literally 
just wild out on like white people basically <laughs> <laughs> it's really like just about basically the, the, the piece in my play is about how frequently we as black people swallow swallow the the microaggressions we swallow we swallow we, we just hold it we hold it we hold it but then it's like you keep pushing me like do you want me to like explode and like massacre everyone like what do you want from me because mm. I'm trying you know right. but anyway the point is is that sometimes when you communicate as an artist when you communicate rage or anger it allows other people to understand that it's okay to have that emotion you know mm -hmm. so, you know what I mean sometimes we feel like especially people in Islam or people in Tasawwuf we feel like oh alhamdulillah everything's okay we just put it and it's like nah like sorry I'm pissed right now like really upset <laughs> and and I and, and I need to express that truth and you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like if you look at his attributes there's Jamal and there's Jalal you know mm. there's the beauty there's the might there's the majesty like this this manifestation that we're in this dunya this world of forms is a is a is a realm of duality it's right. light and dark male and female heavens and earth Allah in the Quran like we always see these you know uh yani these sort of mirrors these reflections these 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 right. and so if all I present as an artist is like when I'm in a hall and Medina Bay and when I'm <laughs> of, you know vikir then for people that who might follow me or read my work who aren't in that state might thought there's something wrong with me because look at Sakina she's always in this particular state and right. I'm out here spiky and angry about something and there's I'm not seeing a validation for that you know right. um and I think you know I, I just think a lot about about that and even with my presence on social media I'm really trying to cultivate a, a kind of presence wherein I don't just show when things are perfect. I like to right. kind of really show like, guys, just so you know, like the process is ugly sometimes and it hurts and there's this and I'm not always, sometimes I struggle with my salah. Sometimes I struggle with my dhikr. Sometimes I'm like mm. way off, you know, and I'm also like struggling just like you. And so I think sometimes being brave enough to show when things aren't glossy mm. is actually helpful, I think, to the people that are, are connected to you than it is to just only show the kind of shiny stuff you know it's like right. you know I, I just I'm really I really care about stuff like that I really really do because I've had people message me like when someone I know personally she was like oh I was struggling with my prayers and I didn't want to reach out to you because I thought you'd be upset with me or I thought you'd judge me or and I was like, Allah, ya Allah, like, no, like, I'm like, I was like, if you ever knew what I've been going through right now, do you know what I mean? The only difference is when I'm going through things, I don't flee. I don't right. flee from, I don't flee from my sheikh. You know, I used to do that. I used to, oh my God, my sheikh's going to be able to sense when I call him, but I haven't been praying and I'm doing my vicar. Like, he's going to know I can't call him. But then I realized this is really a big uh, trick of shaitan. Shaitan loves the believer in that state because you right. just be like oh you're, you're impure your sheikh's gonna know look at you stuff for Allah like you shouldn't mm. even be with that you know and, and you keep and before you know it six months have gone and you haven't picked up your prayer beads you haven't spoken to your sheikh and you feel Ooh. awful you know what I mean and so now I'm like no like when I'm when I'm struggling with my salah I call my sheikh in that moment I'm like sheikh I'm struggling with my salah. Please pray that Allah gives me istikama. Then he makes du'a. Mm. I say, renew my bear. He renews my bear. Straight away, I feel this revive, you know? So right. it's for me, it's just important that, you know, so 
I always go off, excuse me, but <laughs> no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. This is, I mean, literally, like, quite literally. Mm-hmm. This again, like I said, before we even got started and before I press mm-hmm. record, this is my excuse to just talk mm-hmm. to people that, um, that I admire. So, um, yeah. wherever, wherever the conversation veers to, that's where it will go, and you know, people, there's there tons of podcasts, <laughs> so it's you don't true. have to particularly be on this one so yeah. you know if it pivots away from things that are not to the taste of our folks then i'm sorry but you know i, yeah. I feel better letting people express themselves because you're in a groove um yeah. last two things mm-hmm. i would say one um dang, it's almost three things sheesh mm-hmm. um you you are also a playwright as well and you spoke mm-hmm. to that um what what can you say to other artists? Because even myself, like, you know, I want to dip into some different forms of writing. Um, how do artists give themselves license to do that? Because you know, everybody doesn't get up and say, hey, I'm going to write a play and then do it and then say, I'm going to write another one and another one. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, obviously, as, as you said in the bio, my, my play premiered in February. And I think similarly, similarly to when you asked me like what I took away from Poetic Pilgrimage, I, I think with regards to the play, I'm still processing, I'm still processing that because it was one of the most intense, difficult, uh, creative projects I've ever done, actually. Like it was really, it was really difficult. I think firstly, because um, as poets, and also coming from a hip hop tradition, we're very used to telling our own stories. That's how I feel, so what I want to say, this my point of view. But when you're writing a play, or particularly the way in which I decided to write my play, it wasn't just my story. You know, I was trying to tell really a story that was maybe too wide to contain in a play. It was about the experience of being an Afropean or someone with African roots in Europe and what does that look like you know and so when I initially I didn't have I didn't uh, write the play then present it to the theatre alhamdulillah I've been working with this theatre for about three four years in a poetic capacity and Uh they invited me to write a play and I was like of course like I always take these things as an invitation from Allah so I was like great you know it's not it's way out of my comfort zone but um Bismillah, let's let's go, you know. And so initially, I guess I tried to write a very traditional beginning, middle, and end play with these a number of art, you know, uh, performers as a lead, as a supporting, you know. And it was quite traditional. And I tried to tell the story of a young girl from a refugee background who comes to the big city, and you know, almost comes to find herself through poetry. So the idea of it was great, like in my mind, but I didn't really execute it very well um, in the beginning. I think, and I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that I was trying to tell someone else's story. And mm. an imagined story. It wasn't like I had based it on an autobiography or something like that. It was an imagined story, but it was also a collection of many stories at the same time. And I think that when we did it, there was it was it was cool. Like the feedback and the response was really really good. But I think that I missed the depth. You know, I, I kind mm-hmm. of the, the characters could only go so far. So then, you know. We, that was the work in progress and so then I worked with another director and the director was incredible because it was again like being in therapy because she really got to got me to get to the heart of what it is I wanted to say you know mm-hmm. we stripped away like in the first play there was dancers and there was all these really cool like you know projections and lights in the background got rid of all of that we stripped it right down and what is it what is your story 
and mm. and I think that was very because she, because she has this way she's very she's an incredible human actually but because she has this way of getting to the heart of the matter it helps right. it helped me to get to the matter too um and I think the second part of the play was written whilst I was also doing my master's so I was already in this kind of war war kind of revealing uh, kind of place <laughs> You know, so it was interesting because some of the pieces I wrote for my course, I wrote in, you know, my coursework ended up in the play. And so there was a certain kind of truth that when I when I listened to the play and when I listened to my poems on other people's mouths, I recognized myself. You know, I could hear I could hear myself as opposed to the first play where it just felt a bit too wishy-washy, you know. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, like I still... I still don't know what I really took away from it. I think, you know, as artists who, who you know, whatever your art form is, I would say it's a bit like, you know, maybe a musician who first learns to play a recorder at school or something like mm-hmm. that. Then eventually they kind of build it and they can maybe like learn how to play the sax and then maybe they build it and they can learn how to play the trumpet Then they can build and they can learn how to play, you know, a trombone. I don't know, like kind of if your foundation is writing, like, don't be afraid to build on on your art form. Don't be afraid to kind of like add skills onto your onto your skill set. Because right. for me, it's like writing letters. Like I said, then it became kind of song lyrics. Then it became poetry. Then it became hip hop. Then it became theater. Like you know, for me, they're all part of the same. They're all in the same family. You know, what mm, I mean, it's right. the, the written word and expressing expressing the written word in some kind of way. But it's just like okay, this is a this is a bit different and. You know, I guess as well, one thing I kind of learned was like, yeah, just to trust myself. I think in this process was the first time that I really could look at my work as as a writer and be like, I'm really good. MashaAllah. <laughs> 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 you know, like, <laughs> mashallah, like I could, and it wasn't from a place of ego. It was just like, I'm good. Like I am actually, I can do this. You know what I mean? Like before people would compliment me and I'd be like, oh, thank you so much. You know, much more thanks. But now I'm like, um, one of the lead act- actresses in my play, I didn't actually read her biography because my director invited her to be in my play. And I didn't really read her biography because I just probably didn't want to be intimidated. But after the play finished, I read her biography and it was illustrious you know she's been on television she's been in songs with Denzel Washington and Danny Glover and you know she's done so so much and she used to sit sit me down and she was like you know you're a good writer right like you know you can write she was like sometimes she'd read my poems and she'd be crying like she's like it's so overwhelming because it's so true what you've written and she's like you know you're good right and I'd be like yeah I do you know I do and it's the first time that I could ever in my life say that you know um so yeah I don't really know what to say to other people other than <laughs> if Allah presents your opportunity just take mm-hmm. it you know and yes. and even if it doesn't even if it doesn't if it doesn't work out in in, in the way that you imagine everything everything adds to you as an artist like I remember the first time I performed as a spoken word artist within a theatre piece completely transformed how I perform poetry because when you're in a theatrical setting, it's completely different than performing at an open mic night in, in a bar or a cafe somewhere. People come to be immersed, you know, and so when you uh. feel every single word is going into their body, every, no one's like got at the bar or checking their phone or chatting to their <laughs> friends. No, 
it's really like a deep and you as the poet because you can feel when you've got your audience or not you can yeah. feel when they're with you or not right and just feeling like a theater full of like 500 people and they're in your hands you know and you can yeah. really give them everything and you know everything just adds to your uh, to 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 your art so doors open walk through <laughs> right right that's interesting because uh, like i always say to myself like one of the things that i don't i don't enjoy doing is is having to perform outside like outside Same. Uh, if it's a festival, I mean, because I don't use beats or anything like that. So it's just me. And so you could be pouring your heart out on stage and like people are having conversations in the back. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, so yeah. usually festival type of stuff and I'm I'm okay. I'm okay on that. Um, and that may yeah. be something that I need to just Same. master Same. and develop and get better with later. <laughs> Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I remember once I was invited to perform Spoken Word and it was like an Islamic economic forum or something like that. And they wanted the poets to kind of stand. They had like an art exhibition and they wanted the poets to just stand in the exhibition and just read. <laughs> and I said, no, I said, no way. I said, it's impossible. You know why? Because I said, I value the words too much. It's not even about me, Sakina, the, the person. It's the words, and there's no way that I'm going to stand in a space where I know that my words aren't going to be given the, the right. chance. Do you know what I mean? To be heard, and I said, absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> so festivals, <laughs> again, like you said, if it was with a band or you've got live music, you've yeah. got some, you know, things to kind of um, capture people. But on saying that, I'm starting to see in the UK, a lot of festivals are starting to have spoken word tents now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. same here, same here. Yeah. And, and it seems to be quite a hit. So maybe there's there's a space for it now, like in a kind of open... But again, it's not like on an open stage. It might yeah. be like in a tent, open word <laughs> tent. But no, no, no. I'm with you on that. I don't do that. I don't do that. Right. right. <laughs> okay, so my, my six-month-old is waking up. And it's his cries oh. going in the background. The last thing, that's the last thing I would say. Um, and this is from the second poem that is, <laughs> that is incredible. Um, and it says, uh, our women have walked through the valley of death, confronted the darkness, and speak to God with every breath. We are both healers and dreamers. We travel to worlds behind our eyelids to bring messages back to the land of the living. We are those women. And you end the poem there. And um, thank you for that. Thank you for, for, for traversing the path now mm. and before and, and bringing these cup full uh, cups full of your experiences and um, stations and mm. basically the world um, and so just thank you for that and I guess as a parting um, mm. parting question everybody is shut down we are all quarantined uh, people who have the privilege of being quarantined um, mm. and shutting them off for the world and um, mm. if you could describe shortly, mm. if we had to be quarantined for the rest of mm. the year, mm. what what could an artist be seeking? What could a seeker be seeking mm. at in this particular time? You know, if, if I may, I might answer the question firstly from a perspective of a believer, because yes. I think that... Um, you know, I think it's important for me, we, 
we can get to learn a bit about ourselves and our relationships to Allah in the face of in the face of uh, you know despair or in the face of um, uncertainty you know and I think I remember um, when I was at a conference or like a kind of weekend retreat and it was about climate change and, and they were saying you know the, the, the coordinators wanted us to really confront the, the, the catastrophe that, that is to come and they're not Muslim people and so everyone was crying it's quite emotional and so uh, the ayah came to me the, the friends of Allah do not fear nor do they despair mm. and I for me, this is really my go-to in times of panic because I have to ask myself, you know, and obviously there are, there are awliya, and then there are awliya, you know, there are like <laughs> the big guys, and then there are like, you know, Allah says he's our wali, so if he's our wali, inshallah, we can be his wali too, you know. And so it's this idea of like, if we are of those who are striving to be among the close ones or among the near ones to Allah or at least of those under his shade what should our state be in a time of despair and I realized that for myself we don't really have the right as believers in my opinion this might sound a bit harsh to to, to kind of fall into those states like if mm. we do find ourselves in states of desperation and despair then we really have to kind of go back to the drawing board and find out where the where the kind of where the screw is loose somewhere because wow. you know we are you know we are people of, of scripture I, I literally just wrote a poem yesterday I'm going to share it today and I and I'm saying I'm saying to the people of scripture to the people of you know Ahlul Kitab your people who have been given a book which is a prophecy and we've mm. been told that the time will come which is going to be darker than this actually this wow. is just a dress for her you know what 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 should we do because the, the Quran in my opinion is is not just, uh, you know, sometimes we just engage with it as a, as a place to get ajr, you know, let's read and we get right. barakah every night. It's like, lad, this is, in this time, but that's not what that is. In this time, this is a roadmap, this is a lamp, this is a comfort blanket. Do you get what I'm saying? This is a guidebook. Like, we really have to figure out what we're supposed to do now because we've been actually given everything. We've been given everything, you know. Mm. Like he's he's prepared us for, for the darkness, you know. Mm. I remember Shah saying in a talk recently that we are in a time of darkness, Rasulullah is the light. So what then of, of the Mohammedan community? What should we be doing? Should we not be the ones who are holding candles in the dark for people? Mm. Like, you know, we need we need to step into that now. But we're talking about the we love to talk about things like the Khalifas of the earth. Be Khalifa then, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, if there was ever a time to try and be a Khalifa, this is that time, you know? And I think it's just, it's just that, like, I think for myself, Alhamdulillah, coming from a community where I have shayukh, and my shayukh, they have such yakin in Allah, they're so certain mm. of their law, and they, they have so much tawakkul. They don't panic about things, you know what I'm saying? Mm. They don't panic. They you recite this, you recite this, you recite this, you do this, you read this. Khalas, this is this is it. The dhikr that our shayukh have recommended we do during this time, I finished it in 20 minutes. You know what I mean? It's like they've right. given us they've given us things to do. So for me, in this time, it's like if I've ever been slipping or messing around with my salah, I need to fix that. You know what I'm saying? If I've ever been messing around with my dhikr, I need to I need to fix that. If I've ever just pull down my Quran in Ramadan that needs, that needs to stop now like it really needs to be like fortifying oneself with with our um with the tools we've been given you know what I'm saying it's really about you know like I was feeling quite anxious recently and I think just the climate not so much anxious like I was afraid but I was absorbed 
absorbing the climate of fear that was around me. I was, I'm very sensitive to energy. So I was absorbing everyone else's energy and I was feeling quite anxious and physically just not feeling good. And like my, it's like, it's almost like a voice from like my stomach was just like Quran, like go and read the Quran. And I was reciting, reciting. And by the end of the day, my house felt different. The people in my household felt different. My I felt different. And I was like, yeah, this is this is Allah like showing us that the Quran is more than just a book on the shelf. This this will be your rope. You know mm. what I mean? In times where this will be your this will be what you this is how you hold his hand, you know. Um I remember Shaykh Mahi was saying that Allah doesn't have a family, but the Ahlulillah are the people of Quran, you know? So it's like this is how we this is how we this is how we stay strong. This is where our strength is. So for me in this time I was with a friend rest yesterday and we're like, we're in Khalwa, you know what I mean? I'm trying to get my zikr <laughs> up, my Arabic on point. I'm like, you know, I'm speaking to my brother, I'm like, we need to start doing yoga and doing like online fitness and you know, like I'm not trying to make light of it, but any any catastrophe that you're in or any any difficulty is all based on how you see it. You know mm. what I mean? Because even Allah talks about like maybe something looks good but it's bad for you so maybe something looks bad but it's good for you you know what I mean and I really feel like in this time human beings are given a chance it's, it's like a a precursor I see for, for the for the for the last day you know this is this is the beginning it's going to show us that we're, we're in that time but what do we do with a little with it this is this is small in comparison to the things that are described in the Quran you know what I mean so I think it's just about fortifying ourselves as, as believers and whatever your faith is by the way it's not just as muslims like whatever your faith is whatever your if you're a person who loves crystals and meditation then you better meditate and you better get them crystals charged up under the full moon and like do what you need to do you know what i mean like whatever your, whatever your thing is whatever it is you might just be a person who of just dua like you might just be a good prayer you might just know okay. how to speak to God, then guess what? This is if there was ever a time to speak to Allah, let it be now, you know. So um I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's just it's just really about I'm a Muslim, you know what I mean? And like I'm I'm a person of tasawwuf. I'm 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 actually in a way quite protected in a sense. And there are a lot of people that don't have faith, that don't believe, that don't have anything to hold on to. And in this time, like we as Muslims need to kind of really bring bring our deen and bring Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam out into the world you know what I'm saying we need to bring now we need to be Muhammadan you know what I'm saying that's mm. that's kind of how, this how I feel <laughs> right now wow I feel like I can run through a wall right now <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been it's been it's been humbling it's been a pleasure and uh, it's been inspiring just to be able to take this time um, and speak with mm -hmm. you and I ask that Allah just protect you, um, protect your work, uh, protect your purpose, and protect your north. And that, inshallah, we we all gain perspective. And we all gain enough perspective to set us on the path towards him. Because um, all, all, all paths lead, toward, lead towards him. He may go through people. They may go through other different um, uh, venues. Uh, what, it, what have you, but um, just thank you for being a, a reminder, first of all, um, for the majesty of Allah and the, um, the power of our hearts. And that's, that's, that's it. We're, we're done. Um, so yeah. thank you so much. I'm humbled. I'm humbled. This was incredible. Like, I'm, I'm full. I'm very full. <laughs>
Allahu Akbar. Thank you so much as well for A, for being you, for your art, for your presence as a black father, as well as a black man. Like everything that you represent is just so important and it counters a narrative of men that is just not present. So I thank you for that. And I also thank you because it's very humbling, isn't it? Because as artists, we're used to being like on my side, like being interviewed, spoken to, but as an artist, also using your platform to kind of be the interviewer and in a way being in a you know in a position wherein you're you're receiving you know like it's it's, mm. it's really powerful and I think it's a really important it's really important and I think there's something very beautiful about the ways in which an artist will ask questions as opposed to like a journalist or yeah or you know there's a it's like you said it to me it's less of an interview more of a conversation I'm sure if we've met obviously one day inshallah we will meet I hope in your family but like we probably have this conversation anyway but maybe i'd probably just be asking you more questions too but it just it's it's an it's a lot more natural when artists speak to artists i think so yes. thank you your family your beautiful wife may allah protect your community your family may allah increase you and raise you may allah accept everything that you do as a means as a form of ibadah and um, may allah give you allah thank you so much you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All, right, All right, I'll take take care, and I'll uh, to talk soon, inshallah. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam For some. Paradise is filled with palaces As far as the eye can see Grapevines and lakes of honey But for me Paradise is the doorstep of my beloved Where I will live for all eternity My food A glimpse of his beauty My song Allahumma salli wa sallim Wa barikh alayhi every heavenly day my paradise is a doorstep, no castle of my own, no luxurious robes, no vast grounds to roam. I will be content with a simple Bedouin's tent, woven tapestry. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, it will read. And anyone who visits me will speak the language of dhikr and salawat and nabi. I will have no name in heaven. I will be a graceful peasant who roams upon God's roads, a fakira in the akhirah as she was in the dunya, singing instead of speaking, dancing instead of walking, smiling from ear to ear, ecstatic because my beloved is near and I am present. And on special occasions, I will ask Allah to make me into a rose from the flower bed of Muhammad. Maybe he'll pick me. Insha'Allah he does. Holds me close enough for my tears to fall into the palm of his blessed hands so he can smell the fragrance of a broken one who so loved the chosen one even though 1,400 years stood between them. There is enough space for everyone on the doorstep of Sayyidina Muhammad. Caravans of lovers have pitched their tents there. Vagrants, vagabonds and those who only just made it into the garden. 
They did not memorize all the verses. They did not stand all night in prayer. They were not perfect, but they loved him more than the very skin they stood in. Love of the beloved was their currency on the day of reckoning. They knew to call out his name. Ya Muhammad, Ya Mustafa, Ya Rasulullah, they would say, and he will appear, illuminous, his face as bright as the sun at midday, with merciful eyes. You are mine, he will say. You are mine, and I am yours. And we will cry oceans of praise, and never stop sending salam upon his name. And when we are shown our home in the heavenly abode, we will thank Allah with words that will polish his throne. But like stray dogs, we will follow Muhammad to his home and set up our camps there because our paradise is beneath the beloved's eyes. Dar al-Muhammad, we will gather there, angels, prophets and benevolent beings, saints, sages and ordinary human beings who have no home anywhere in the seven heavens where the beloved is not present. Every day will be a maulid on this doorstep, a sacred festival of light, praise poetry sung in heavenly melodies. And when the angels open their mouths to make dhikr, we will all be covered in glitter and we will twirl the way we used to on earth under the rain in the summer. And there will be tea in abundance, herbs picked from heaven's garden, and when the beloved of God makes his entrance, we will swoon for a second, drown in our love, then wake back up with his light in our eyes. Nur al-ayn, nur qalbi, nur hayati, ya habibi, ya sayyidi, ya nabi Muhammad. Who would I be without your name tattooed on my heart? Who would I have become if you did not come for me? No sweeter moment than when I woke in my bed and realized I had fallen in love with Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. <laughs>